It's time for the spring sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores. Capital Mazda, Stevens Creek Mazda, Concord Mazda, and Team Mazda. Hey, it's Shondell Grand. And right now we've got a huge selection of brand new Mazdas with exciting spring incentives across our entire lineup. Plus, you can buy your new Mazda completely online with our exclusive no-brainer checkout. Don't miss the spring sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores in San Jose, Concord, and Vallejo. Coming to you from the heart of Silicon Valley, this is CUDA Confidential, the official podcast of the San Jose Barracuda, AHL affiliate of the San Jose Sharks. Now, here's your host, Nick Nolenberger. Hello, CUDA country, and welcome to another edition of CUDA Confidential. I'm Nick Nolenberger. In this episode, we recap the last three games with highlights, and we'll chat with Barracuda forward Dylan Hamillick. <laughs> The Barracuda continued their five-game homestand on Saturday afternoon against the Colorado Eagles. The team entered Saturday having dropped its last two, but got off to a tremendous start in the opening 20 minutes of play. Joachim Blickfeld got things started with his team-leading 21st of the year. And Hatika will skate it up and hand off now for Holpkowaks. Holpkowaks tried to stuff it far side. Kiefer Sherwood will bank it back against the grain. He gave it away to Hopkowax. It's a 2 on 0 Blickfeld scores! The time of Blickfeld's goal came at 4.29. And at 6.54, Evan Weinger would make it 2-0 Barracuda as he'd finish off a breakaway through the 5-hole of Colorado Eagles goaltender Eustace Onanen. On the Barracuda's first shot of the game. Another chance. Now for Weinger. Steps in. He scores! The Barracuda would make it 3 to nothing as Adam Raska would slide in a loose puck in the crease pass on and in at the 14.06 mark for his fourth of the year. Exclusive membership with unparalleled benefits with the Shark Tank for the 22-23 season. There's a shot, puck is loose, Raska scores! Later in the opening frame at 17.40, Jason Magda, the older brother of Sharks defenseman Jacob Magda, would cut the lead down to 3-1 to one with his 8th of the year. But late in the opening frame at 18.37, Antoine Morin would push the lead back up to 3 with his 1st in a Barracuda sweater and his 5th on the campaign. Raska forces a turnover, hands off for Morin. His shot! He scores! Up 4-1, to one, the Barracuda would begin the second period on the power play. But while down a man, Colorado's Callahan Burke would make it a 4-2 lead just 36 seconds into the second period. Kinyaza will scoop it up, 25 in teal. It's really come on in the second half. Skates it up ice, swings it back for Hulkawaks. And a little bit of miscommunication. McGrew and Hulkawaks turnover. Force, here's a chance and they score! A shorthanded goal! Colorado would later go on to the power play, and at 2.51, Mikhail Moltsev would score his 14th of the year to cut the lead down to one. Then, on the penalty kill once again, Martin Kaut would make it another shorty with his 13th of the season at 4.15 to tie the score up at 4-4. Kenyaza back for Blickfeld, trying to seam it in front. Puck is still loose. It'll roll into the corner, rimmed around the wall, off the shin guard of Kinyasov, and here comes Count shorthanded. Works into the backhand. He scores. Martin Count, another shorthanded goal for the Colorado Eagles. 
But just 39 seconds later, while still on the same power play, Nick Chichek would give the Barracuda back its advantage at a 5-4 score with his fifth of the season. Barracuda still on the power play here for another 51 seconds. Chichek on the right point. He'll tote the line. Shot scores! But Maltsev would score again in the second period with his 15th, and right at the end of the frame, with just 11 seconds remaining in the second, Jacob McDonald would fire one in on the power play to give the Eagles their first lead of the game. We to the left side of Alex Stalock, Colorado, one for two on the power play this afternoon. 18 seconds remaining in the period. We're tied at 5-5. Foodie will twist one along Mateau. Left wing side, McDonald winds up and scores! Colorado's keeper Sherwood would seal the victory with an empty netter at 18:27, his 28th goal of the year. The Barracuda would have Sunday off and turn right back around on Monday for the final meeting on the eight-game season series against the Avalanche affiliate. Unfortunately, the way the Barracuda would finish their game on Saturday was an indication of how they would start on Monday, as the Eagles scored four times in the opening period and would eventually pick up a 4-0 win behind 20 stops from Hunter Miska. At 11.46, Jordan Gross would get things started. The puck comes free to the far side wall. Colorado's going to come out with it. Martin Count, the checkborn forward, will skate it through the middle third. He'll leave it for a trailing Gross. Shot! Scores! Jordan Gross down the left wing side. Beats Saksat Sachenko over the catching mitt. Then at 12-12, Stefan Mateau would make it 2-0. Eagles before Rob Hamilton would fire one in on the power play at 14-57. And then Maltsev, who had scored twice on Saturday, would light the lamp again on the man advantage as Colorado would jump out to a 4-0 lead in the first. The shutout defeat was the Barracuda's third of the season. On Wednesday, the team would turn back around for a 10 a.m. start to wrap up their five-game homestand in the final meeting of eight against the Ontario Reign. In the previous meeting on March 9th, the Barracuda found a way on the road to win 4-3 in overtime. But at 4:36, the Reign would jump out to a 1-0 lead as Akil Thomas would score his second goal of the year to open things up. Akil Thomas pulls up, centers near side for Hantika, who a pitch from the right point, it went through his stick, it's gonna to lead to a two on one. Here comes Sutter, works in, and a save is made. Big rebound, another save, and they score on a third attempt, Akil Thomas. Then at 12.45, Sam Fagimo would make it 2 to nothing, Ontario. At 15.50, the Barracuda would find a way to get on the board as Jasper Weatherby would clean up a loose puck after Evan Weinger took it straight to the net on a partial break. And handoff now for Raska. Pressure on, though, by the Ray. The Barracuda right now just get beat to what seems like every puck, but Weinger's going to get to this one. Down the wing, tries to work to the backhand. Rebound! They score! Unfortunately, with just 57 seconds remaining in the first, it was once again Thomas who would light the lamp for the rain, this time on the power play. Just a minute and 30 seconds into the second period, the rain would make it 4-1 as Fagimo would once again score his 23rd of the year. The Barracuda would go on to the power play in the second period, but while up a man, it was Ontario's PK that found a way to extend its lead. Nikita Pavlichev would carry it down the left wing, and beat Alex Stalock to give Ontario a 5-1 lead. 
one so far. Here's a short-handed chance, and they score. It is a five-to-one lead for the Ontario Reign and the Barracuda, who had prior to Saturday only given up two shorties all year long, have given up three over their last three games. Down five to one, Joachim Blickfeld would score later in the second period on the power play. His team leading 22nd goal of the year and his 11th on the man advantage. Blickfeld's 11 power play goals matches Danny O'Regan's single season franchise record, which was set back in the 2016-17 campaign. They misplayed there by the rain, which allows the Kuda to hold it in the ozone. Blickfeld, left flank. Shoot, scores! What a shot by Blickfeld off the post. He's got his 22nd goal of the year. In the third, Aiden Dudas would score just 39 seconds into the final frame, as Evan Weinger would tally later at 527, but it was too little too late, as the Barracuda would fall by a score of 6-3 against the Ontario Reign. When we come back, we'll be joined by Barracuda forward Dylan Hamilick. This is Cuda Confidential. Unlock an easier way to schedule your team of all-star employees. No spreadsheets. No hassle when team members want to swap shifts. And fast substitutions when staff call out sick. With Deputy, it's simple and lightning fast to create and share employee schedules. It's how over 250,000 workplaces are making life easier. From restaurants to retailers, to hotels and healthcare clinics. Ready to up your scheduling game? Go to deputy.com forward slash sharks. When you hear coordinated care, what do you imagine? Nurses going viral for their dance routine? <laughs> Not here. At Kaiser Permanente, coordinated care has nothing to do with dancing and everything to do with quality and convenience. With Kaiser Permanente, you don't have to worry about getting your records sent from place to place because our electronic medical records seamlessly connect all of your doctors, nurses, and specialists. It's so easy, you might do your happy dance. Kaiser Permanente, tomorrow's health care today. Learn more at kp.org thrive. You're listening to Barracuda Hockey. We are pleased to be joined by Barracuda forward Dylan Hamlick. Hammer, first of all, thank you for the time, and how are things going? Uh, things are going good. Uh, the weather's nice here, so I got to soak up a little bit of sun. And, yeah, I'm excited to join you here. For those who are watching our program, you're wearing the Santa Cruz sweatshirt. I know you spend a little bit of time over on my side of the hill when you've got days off. But what have you made of just the Bay Area in a whole now that you've lived here for what's coming up on a year? And uh, just the California lifestyle, it's a little different than maybe what you grew up in uh, back in Alberta. Oh, yeah, definitely a little bit different. The weather's a whole lot nicer. Uh, back home, it's like the winter is pretty cold. Gets like minus 30 there. And I don't know. Here so far, I've just like went to Santa Cruz, got to see like a little bit of what that's like by the ocean. And just recently I went out, did the 17 mile drive, uh, went out by Pebble Beach and just kind of seen that area a little bit. And that was, that was really cool. I really enjoyed that. Are you much of a golfer? Is that something you enjoy when you're not playing? Uh, yeah, I do enjoy golfing when I have my own clubs because when I use the rentals, it just doesn't cut it for me. Yeah, I guess those I have are, a couple, couple excuses. Those are built for guys like myself who are like 5'11", <laughs> 6 foot, not for guys like you are, who are north of 6'3"-ish. I think those clubs yeah. are probably a little bit too short for you. Plus, as you said, it's a great excuse, right? Hey, I got the rental clubs. These are my clubs. Exactly. Exactly. I pulled that one out a little bit. 
Love it. So you're from Leduc, Alberta, just outside of Edmonton. What was life like growing up in Leduc? Uh, it was good. Uh, we had, well, I had all my minor hockey and stuff over there. Uh, both me and my brother played minor hockey there. It's just like 15 minutes south of Edmonton. So like you're close to the big city and stuff. So I don't know. And then in the summers and whatnot, our family would like always go up north and go camping and fishing and whatnot. So that's, that was fun. Is it oil country? Is it agriculture? What is kind of driving the economy in that area? It's mainly oil, like in Alberta. And that's where like most of the jobs are for the most part. Uh, so there's NISCU that's like in the middle of Leduc and Edmonton. And that's where like most of the jobs are. And it's all like kind of oil based and like, uh, like oil mat cleaning and like all that sort of stuff. So most of the jobs are over but if you're working on like the oil rig and stuff, you're way up north and you're gone for weeks on end. So good money in that, but you don't really want to be doing that. So growing up in that area, were you a big Oilers fan as a kid? Yeah, I liked the Oilers a lot, but they weren't that great when I was growing up. So I was more so a Capitals fan. The Capitals were kind of my go-to team growing up, so... Was that because of Ovechkin? Who, who was, uh, or what was the driving force behind rooting for the Caps? Uh, it was definitely Ovechkin. Definitely. What about Ovechkin? Just seeing him take all those warranties and scores on basically every single shot. It, it, when you watch yeah. a guy like, like Alex Ovechkin, who's patented that one time or off the flank on the power play, nobody wants to get in front of it. But he's like the only guy who can really do it, right? It, it's not yeah. something that you can necessarily try to do yourself. Um, do you just watch him in kind of awe or have you ever tried to be one of those guys in your minor hockey where you're getting off on the flank and just trying to one-time pucks? Well, I've tried it, but I haven't really executed many. So, I mean, it's more so like an awe thing. Like, I don't know how he gets off. It's like, he's always in that perfect spot and it's like no goalie knows what to do when it's coming that fast towards him. It just seems to find its way through all the time. So. We know that uh, Canada and hockey, it, it's more of a lifestyle than a sport and it's ingrained in the culture and it seems inevitable if you're a young kid that you're going to play the sport at some point. How did you get into the sport though? How were you introduced to hockey? Uh, my, my dad uh, introduced me to it when I was really young, probably two, three years old. And he kind of engraved that culture into me and we were always out playing uh, and like public skates, playing tag, pub, and public skates, and even just like going out to the outdoor rinks in the winter time, even if it was minus twenty five, we were still making our way out there to to practice, and it was it was fun. Like that hockey's definitely big impact on my life. When was the moment? And maybe there wasn't just one time, but was it when you were on the frozen ponds or the the, the outdoor rinks when you really? realize this is like all I want to do. This is my favorite thing to do. And it was almost hard at times, maybe for your dad to drag you off of the ice because it was something that all of a sudden you had just fallen in love with. It was, it was a passion now. Yeah. I don't know. Just like ever since I put the skates on, it was just it's so much fun to me and I still have so much fun playing it. And that's why I want to try and continue playing this for many more years and make a good career out of it. 
but yeah, my dad's definitely had a big impact on that. So, yeah. Your dad uh, and your mom, of, of course, have supported your hockey career throughout. Your your dad, Wes, your mom, Monica. Your dad, as you mentioned, though, we spoke a little bit off air. He's a mechanic. Your mom, an educational assistant. She works in the school system. So neither necessarily have a true hockey background in the sense that they aren't coaching yeah. and they aren't in management. But was it easy for them to get you and your siblings into hockey? Was that just a natural progression? Yeah, I think for most families that are from where I'm from, that's probably the ideal sport for most of the kids. Like everybody wants their kid in hockey. But I don't know, some kids just don't really enjoy it. So they don't really end up going that route and they go to school and whatnot. But the majority of kids and, and people around, they just, once they strap on the skates and they want to play a pro sport, that's kind of what they go to is professional hockey. So your older brother, just a couple of years older, he played in the WHL, just like yourself. Dalton is his name. You've got a younger sister, Danielle. So the three D's, everybody with a, a D uh, in their uh, first letter of their name. I want to talk a little bit about your brother. He was the one who initially got into the WHL. Did you look up to him? Was he kind of the guy that you, you idolized? And fill us in a little bit on that relationship, having an older brother that's only really a couple of years older. Oh, yeah. He for sure paved the way for me. Like, we were always so competitive, and I always just wanted to be as good as him. But he was like a couple of years older, so it was always so hard for me to like to almost beat him in a sense. So he he definitely like paved the way for me and showed me the ropes. And he still he still helps me out a lot, like in all my struggles and whatnot. And he's been a great, great impact on my hockey career. So he is playing, is it Canadian college hockey that he's currently playing right now? Kind of fill us in on where his career is at. Yeah. So while he finished his last year in the dub as a 20 year old in Moose Jaw, and then he played one year at the U of A for the Golden Bears. And then he switched out of his program and went to Nate to go be a power engineer. So him and Nate, uh, they ended up making it to the ACAC championship. So that's just the, I don't know. I think it's, it's a different league than uh, like the Golden Bears and stuff. So I think it's just like te technology schools, basically. So they ended up winning the ACAC championship just recently, I think like maybe four days ago. So I was pretty, pretty pumped for him. That's awesome. So do you guys, you mentioned that he, you still rely on him quite a bit. Do you guys talk about each other's games at all? Like do you get a chance to catch any of his games? Has he caught any of your games? Do you guys go back and forth, try to help each other out? Yeah, we go back and forth quite a bit just to see like how we could both improve each other's games. Sometimes I can't watch his because we have a game or whatnot, or sometimes he can't watch ours because he has a game. But but now we got 10 games left, so now you can watch all of my games, right? Yeah, but, he's got to keep an eye on uh, what's going down on the final stretch. It's incredible yeah. the season is already to this point where we're entering the final month. I want to go back to before your time as a professional, and that's when you joined the WHL, a draft pick of Seattle back in 2015, the Bantam Draft. So you join an American team that was that the first time that you'd come to the States and what were you thinking? Obviously excited, but uh, what were you thinking when Seattle drafted you and you realized, Hey, I'm now going to head to the U S. Yeah, that was, that was a crazy feeling. I think I went, 
111th. So I was a fairly late pick, I guess. And I don't know. I still think my brother peaked my way at that point. Like he was already with Spokane and they, they had been watching me and whatnot. And my brother's a good player at the time. So I think teams saw and they're like, oh, well, he got his brother as well coming up. So maybe we could take a shot at him. And, and yeah, so my first camp, I went to Seattle at 15 and every like playing against 20 year olds. I thought that was the craziest thing because I, I ended up making main camp and whatnot. So just playing against all those bigger guys, I was kind of in awe, like playing against Ethan Bear and Colazar, Barzell, all those guys. So that was that was crazy to see. And just to see how much those guys been to it made me made me think about like how much further I could go with with hockey. So I want to ask you about that team. You guys won a WHL championship. You got to the Memorial Cup. You mentioned Matt Barzell, Islanders Ford, Ethan Bear, who's now in Carolina, Keegan Colasar, he's in Vegas. Alexander True, former Shark prospect, he's now in Seattle's yeah. organization. And Austin Strand, also on that team, who's in L.A. So yes, that was a loaded group. You guys, as I mentioned, won the WHL championship. That was your first year. What was that whole experience like, and what was it like playing with those guys and watching them firsthand? Oh, it was, it was crazy. Because I, I still like wasn't that developed. I was just a super young, small kid. I think I was maybe 5'9", five, 5'10", five, like, just a small skinny kid and then just seeing these guys fly around and how much effort they put in it was crazy to see and even the coaching staff was awesome like they had a time like there was always there's always stuff to do after practice They're always working with you it was great for my development just to see how those guys played the game it really helped me out a ton at that age Barzell, first-round draft pick, of course, but he's become a superstar in the NHL. When you watched him firsthand still in junior, did you see those type of traits that you thought maybe this guy's going to be something special when he gets up to the highest level? For sure. That guy was insane. Like, like making sauce passes, like, six feet high, and nobody could hit out of the air, and they were right on everybody's tape. Just how dynamic and how smooth of a skater he is. Like, I'm surprised he didn't, didn't uh, he's a one-of-a-kind player for sure. When you watched a guy like that, was it encouraging, uplifting? Did you feel inspired by that? Or was it like, wow, this guy's pretty good. This level is pretty good. And am I good enough to play at this level? Which way did it kind of swing for you? Well, it's kind of like... It was like, am I even meant to really be here? But I don't know. I was still super young. So I think that just kind of made me want to work even harder to like get to the same level that they're at. And I just, yeah, that's basically it. Like I just had to keep grinding away to, to eventually make it to their level. So you mentioned that you were five foot nine. Now you're six, three. When did you hit your growth spur? When did all of a sudden you sprout up into this, you know, big power forward? When I was probably set, well, when I was 15, I still tried that same word rolling and hitting and all that stuff. But I would say when I was 16, maybe 
started at 16 and kind of went through 17, 18. And then now here we are. <laughs> so, so was that when NHL scouts started to come around and there started to be a buzz around your game when you did hit that growth spurt? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Once I put on a little bit of weight and got a little bit taller and like, I'm still pretty skinny. Like I still feel like I have a little bit of filling out to do. So I still got a little bit of growth left in me. Walk us through when you're in Seattle, you had great success. You guys won a, a WHL championship, but then you're traded to Kelowna. You had this crazy year. You're drafted, you're traded, and you suffered a pretty major knee injury. Walk us through that time. First, we'll start, I guess, with getting traded. Did it come a little bit out of the blue? Um, and once you were traded to Kelowna, an organization who's had many a players who have went on to the NHL, what were the thoughts about the trade? We'll start with that, and then we'll go through the injury and, and getting drafted. Well, I didn't really know that I was going to get traded. Um, it was in the off season, and then I just woke up to my phone ringing, and I answered it, and it was Bill LaForge, our GM in Seattle, and he said, yeah, like the Rockets wanted you and stuff, and like, thanks for everything and whatnot. And then he just basically said, you're off to Kelowna. So I was like, all right. And I knew like some of the players there, like I played against Korzak and Lee was also a part of the trade. Um, and Nolan Foot was there. Like I knew we were going to have a great team and I knew they were hosting Memorial Cup, but that didn't end up going through because we, because <laughs> of COVID, but that was pretty crappy. And yeah, that's basically how that that moment went. So tell us, walk us through the, the knee injury. When did that go down? And, and what do you remember about the injury? What was kind of the toughest part about not only accepting it, but then realizing you've got to go through the process of recovery? Well, the hardest part of it was probably after I got traded, or not got traded, after I got drafted to uh, San Jose, like the doctors like checked it all out and stuff. And they were like, yeah, if you would have got a, like a wire instead of like taking out your tendon with it and like how they like can join it together with my MCL, I would have been out for like, like four weeks and I was out for like six months and I was like three months non-weight bearing with the surgery that I got. So my leg looked like a twig after and it was just such a long recovery after that. So that was definitely the hardest part and just not being able to play. That was brutal. Like that's all I wanted to do. And I was, I couldn't even step foot on the leg for three months. So, yeah. 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 Top. Yeah. And on top of the fact that you can't play, then you can't do the simplest of things too, right? Like enjoy yourself a little bit in the off season. So you have the knee injury and that went into to the draft year, right? So that yeah. may have affected on where you thought you were going to get drafted. I'm sure your agent was saying, hey, you could go anywhere from, you know, 32 to whatever, 65. There was kind of a range for you. You end up going in the second round of the Sharks. And I know you've said it was a little bit of a surprise on where you went. Was that really due to the fact that you were coming off a knee injury and you just didn't know how things were going to shake out? Yeah, basically, well, once I got injured, like, I was still confident in the fact that I was going to get drafted, like a lot of teams put interest and whatnot, but I just didn't really know when I would go or if teams would have like 
if teams were skeptical about it and like how I would recover from it. And I ended up going higher than I expected, which I was very pleased about, but I wish I would have ended up going to the draft, but I ended up uh, sitting on my couch and being on my phone and I heard my name get called. And that was, that was a wild feeling. So you didn't go to the draft, as you mentioned. Was that due mostly to the fact that you just didn't know where you were going to get selected? Didn't want to be sitting there if you if you were going to end up going later? Yeah, I didn't know when I was going to go. Like my agent said, yeah, we have tickets if you want to go. And I was like, well, I don't think I'll be going to the top two rounds. Like I, I don't really feel like I should go. And then sure enough, like something like that happens and and then I wish I would have went. So, Hey, you still got to enjoy it with your family. I think that's probably the most important part. Did you have any inkling that San Jose was a team that maybe the one that ends up calling your name? Did you have any conversations with them before? Yeah, I remember at the Combine, I had a meeting with San Jose and I walked into the room and they had, they had a couple clips of me and they were asking me like what I was doing on some and me some good stuff so the uh, Berkey I think Doug Jr. was in there a couple other guys but other than other than that meeting I didn't really know that the Sharks were going to pick me so it was kind of a little bit of a shock still exciting for sure Dylan Hamlick we can't thank you enough for the time man it's been fun watching you I know there's big things in store but uh, finish off strong we, we look forward to, to seeing how, you, how you're able to finish up this year but again thank you for the time yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me.